This is MSF Torah. It's not just a podcast. It's an in-depth analysis of the fundamentals of Torah. Presenting the truth as seen through the eyes of the Torah. Don't forget to follow the podcast, visit our website at msoftorah.com and join Patreon for exclusive content. We want to now focus our attention onto the topic of Torah and science, where science is presented as something that challenges the validity of the Torah. So now we have to discuss this particular topic and discuss why, in my opinion, it does not actually challenge the Torah. Before we get into the details of the main places of contention, I want to give an introduction, a perspective, just a, of how someone should approach this topic. The first part of this introduction, we will discuss a point the difference between a fact versus an opinion. It's an important point for many, many things in life, and, and I think it's a very important point in this particular topic as well. Let's discuss it. It should be an obvious thing, but unfortunately nowadays it's not so obvious, so let's speak out very clearly. A fact is something objective in the world. It simply is. It's There is a reality in the world, and when I describe that reality, that's what we call a fact. Reality is there, and I'm simply describing a specific reality. So if it's raining outside today, and I tell you that it's raining, so my words are just describing a, a reality that's in the world. It's not up for debate. It's it's not up for debate when it rains outside if I say it's raining. That's not something that one can argue on. It's just, again, it's a, it's a simply a description of reality, and that's why it's not up for debate. Reality is not up for debate. So when I describe reality, that's not up for debate as well. That's what a fact is. Opinion is after there is a specific reality, different people have different perspectives on that reality. It's a commentary on the facts. It's an interpretation of something that's going to happen or an explanation of the facts. The perspective a person has on the facts is what an opinion is. Now, a perspective may be formed by different things, as culture or family or whatever it is exactly, but the perspective is something that comes after the facts. It's your commentary on the reality. It's a, a view or a judgment of something. So let's give back to our example. So if it's raining outside, I say, and someone says it's raining outside, that is a fact. If someone says, I like the rain, that's an opinion. That's my perspective towards the rain. As well, if someone says, I think it's going to rain for hours, that's also an opinion. That's not a fact. It's the fact is that rains now. Whether it will continue or not is subject to an interpretation of the facts or interpretation of other things, but it's subject to an interpretation because it's not in front of me right now. It's on the reality right now that it's raining for a couple, of, that it is raining for a couple of hours. Rather, the question is, will it continue or not? So again, that's a perspective or a judgment. That's all in the realm of an opinion. So if I say it's going to rain for hours, from now on, it's not, it's not considered a fact. It's simply an opinion. Some opinions are grounded in fact more than others. That's for sure. Not all opinions are the same. Not all opinions are the same. And not all opinions are just only perspectives. Again, many opinions are grounded in fact, but ultimately it still is an opinion. If it's not reality, if, it's, if you're not simply describing a reality, then it's an opinion. If you're extracting something from a reality, that's already an opinion. If you're assuming something based on a, a reality, that's all an opinion. The difference really is a subject, objective reality versus subjective perspective. And again, the subjective, subjective perspective can be based on a lot of things. It could be very well grounded, but ultimately it's still a subjective perspective unless it's part of reality, what we see in front of us. 
So this is a very important point to make. And whenever someone has any conversation, really, you should always be aware of what is a fact and what's an opinion. People tend to conflate the two things. People like to bolster their opinion by claiming that it's a fact. But a lot of times it's not really a fact, it's an opinion. This is an important distinction to make. Now when it comes to talking about science, you want to apply this same idea. Here I want to make the first major distinction. That's a very, very important one. There's a big distinction between We'll call it science and scientists. But let's speak this out a little bit better. There's a difference between an observable fact about the world versus a scientist's interpretation of that fact. An observable fact is simply something observed in the natural world. Like we said, it's a fact. Observable means it can be observed. What the scientist thinks about that, or what the implications are, or how he understands that, are part of the opinion of the scientist. So we have going to have three specific terms that... I want to define very clearly so that we can understand this topic very well. Number one is observable fact. Number two is scientific theory. And number three is scientific consensus or even scientific opinion. But let's go with scientific consensus. So let's start and understand all these three things. And we're going to get into examples of how these are, the, these things are different. Observable fact is pretty much what we explained so far. As well, our perspective on an observable fact is that pretty much unassailable. There's no reason to deny an observable fact. Now, I say pretty much because sometimes our eyes do, in fact, deceive us. We look at a solid object, for example, it doesn't look like there are things moving, but when we look with a microscope, we see different things. We see atoms and protons, electrons, all these different things going on. So, like I said, it's pretty much unassailable, but for our discussion, we're going to assume that observable phenomena are simply unassailable, which means that if somebody tells me there's an observable fact, there is no reason to deny that. That's something that's reality. And certainly from our perspective, it's reality. So that's good enough for us. So we will accept observable facts no matter what. Our perspective on observable facts is pretty pretty clear, pretty black and white. We will accept them. Now, how does that play into Torah and understanding Psukim? That's not our discussion for right now. But for now, we're just going to say that when something is an observable reality, observable fact, we will accept such a thing. That's not something that needs to be argued. Then there's something called the scientific theory. So let's discuss. This is a definition of a scientific theory. So here's the definition. Quote, the scientific theory is an explanation of an aspect of the natural world and universe that can be or has been repeatedly tested and corroborated in accordance with the scientific method using accepted protocols of observation, measurement, and evaluation of results. End quote. So there's really it was two parts to that, but the first part of this was that a theory is already, we could point out, as I'm going to read to you in a second, is a theory is already in the realm of an opinion. As we said, it's an explanation of an aspect of the natural world. Now, the opinion can be strong because it's going to be tested and corroborated again, but just the first point is that a scientific theory is an opinion that already takes it out of the category of a fact and again into the category of an opinion. If it's tested in a certain way and it comes true again and again and again, one could say then that it's a fact, but it's not always so simple. And for now, in general, a scientific theory, as it is a scientific theory, is an opinion. As well, we should be aware that not every scientific theory has the same strength. When we talk about when I say strength, I mean if you're measuring how true it is or how much, how close it is to reality, some of them are closer to reality to being facts than others. Like we said, if, if something is tested again and again and again and it always turns out the same way, then one could say that 
what you see certainly is a fact. The truth is, even if the th- sometimes the theory itself doesn't nece- it doesn't necessarily prove to be correct by by that point. But we'll leave that side. We'll leave that point aside. Again, if something is again and again tested, then one could say that it's a fact. However, that's not all true by all scientific theories. There's a giant umbrella term of scientific theory that have many, many, many nuances within them, and not every scientific theory is the same. Ones that have been tested and retested many times are, like we said, obviously stronger than ones that have not been. It's not fair for our discussions to just lump them all together under one rubric, that the scientific theory, they're all the same. They're not all the same. For now, we're even leaving out the issue of the reliability of scientific studies. That really is a whole issue in and of itself, and it's not something that it's actually, very, it's very not simple at all. There's a whole science be, behind how to know which studies to take. There, there have been studies, many, many studies done on different things. And there's been exceptions. And even in the, in the people who know, who, who deal with studies, they understand that there's so much room for error in these studies. But I'm leaving that aside because that's a whole discussion in and of itself. But now, for just for our point, we're going to even assume that studies are all great and all perfect. But still, scientific theory, like we said, is number one, not opinion. And number two, there are many different nuances within scientific theory. So when someone says, let's say, that a theory has been proven, so right away it's very important and certainly fair to ask, how exactly has it been proven? Has it been tested over and over again? Are there any potential weaknesses in the study or any weaknesses in the testing? Are there any assumptions being made? And if so, how strong are those assumptions? Have they been proven? Have, uh, have these assumptions been proven? Is there any reason to assume that they're not true? All this goes into scientific theory. People say that the age of the world has been proven to be 15 billion years. Very simple question. How have they done that? Tell me all the steps. Go through the whole process that they went through to arrive at this conclusion. Once you do that, then we could talk about how it fits with the term. But before that, let's not do that. I'm not going to simply accept that somebody said a scientific theory has been proven just because they say it. First of all, scientific theory by definition, like we said, is opinion. And second of all, how strong is this opinion? How correlated is this with the facts? And I don't even want to hear your conclusion about it. I want to hear your process. What is the process? How did you go through getting this scientific theory to what you want to call a fact, or meaning when you say it's been proven? So the details are very important. This is all scientific theory. Now, the last thing is in my opinion, the weakest of, of them all, and I think everyone should agree it's the weakest, it's scientific consensus. Scientific consensus means that something that the scientists have pretty much agreed upon. Now, pretty much agreed upon is very vague. It's hard to know how to assess this. Do we go 50% of scientists? Do we go 70%? That's very, very unclear. Again, details are always important. Press for details. It's a very, very important thing anytime in life. Press for the details in this. What does it mean, scientific consensus? So again, I'm just going to use a very vaguely, a very vague term of scientific consensus, which is most, the dominant opinion amongst the scientists. Again, that's, again, hard to describe, hard to define, but we have to, we have to live with that. Now, consensus among scientists does not make something automatically true. I think this should be, is obvious, but I think it still needs to be said. Just because scientists have decided something doesn't make it true. Truth is not decided by a popular vote, even one where the voters are scientists. Truth is not an opinion. It is simply a fact. You can't vote on a fact. Facts are reality. Reality is decided by reality, whatever, however nature decides what it is. But the point is, scientists, scientific theory does not 
conform, does not tell me what a fact is. Just because all scientists believe in something doesn't make it true. Just because it's the predominant scientific theory or a scientific consensus doesn't make the theory to be true. The strength and weakness of a given theory is not dependent upon how many people believe in it. Again, even if those people happen to be wearing white coats, it doesn't, and if they're very smart, it doesn't make a difference. We have to divorce a scientific theory from a scientific consensus and even a scientific theory from observable reality. That's a little bit more nuanced, but that's also true. So for sure, we will say that scientific consensus does not impact truth at all. Now, somebody could make a point that if so many smart people believe in it, why would it not be true? Fine. That's a, that could be a fair point, which we'll address a bit later. But again, that's not a straight science. That's not a straight fact. And that's certainly, I don't think that is, should be labeled as science either. Science, I will label, I'll, I'll describe, talk about science. To me, that means observable fact. Point one that we've been discussing. Something that's clear in the natural world. An observable fact that's a reality in the natural world. That's science. Scientific theory is different. And scientific consensus is also different as well. So those are very, three very different things. We have to know in general, now that we've decided, we've defined all these things, we want to know where science ends and opinion of scientists begin. And those are, again, very, I can't emphasize this enough. They're very different things. Science is something and opinion of scientists is something else. And even theory and consensus is two different things. I want to give two examples of things that people have conflated science with the scientists or observable fact versus theory versus consensus, just to show the point to bring out the point. One of them is, is easier to see where science ends and something else, a different area of life begins. And the other is still within, it's all within the scientific realm, but it shows the difference very nicely between fact and opinion. So here's our two examples, and with this we're going to show our point. The first example is a medicine, or let's say a vaccine, and I'm not taking any sides of any of these debates, it's not my goal right here, I just want to make a very clear point about science and scientific theory or scientific consensus, fact versus opinion. Science can tell us what's in the vaccine, that's for sure. Whatever goes into the vaccine, whatever is created, how the vaccine is created, science will certainly be able to tell us that. A scientific theory will tell us what the benefits can be. And since these ingredients are found in other places, so what do we expect they're going to do? What are the cause and effects of putting these ingredients in our body? So that comes from a theory. Since we've seen in other places, let's say this medicine has worked, this vaccine has worked, so we could assume, we will assume that it will also work in this area. Something to that effect. As well, a theory can potentially tell us what risks can result from the vaccine using the same mechanism. Since we know what normally happens under this, under these circumstances with this ingredients, with these people, and we found that either there are risks or there are no risk, big risk, small risk, whatever it is. So we can theorize that it will also have this amount of risk in this scenario. That's all part of that. It's all scientific theory. But that's also not really fact, because we can't know for sure until we try on a given person or a given population. It's assumption. Assumption is that the reaction for this person will be the same as that. Now, again, assumptions can be grounded in fact. It's a pretty good assumption if the two people are exactly the same and the medicines are exactly the same. It's a pretty good assumption that they're going to have the same reaction. But once you're ready change the people, that people are a little bit different, slightly different, or the medicine is slightly different, to assume that it's the same becomes weaker. But again, that all becomes comes from the fact that this isn't simply fact. This is opinion theory as well. Sometimes you can do tests and only after it's given to a different group or a higher number of people 
that's when they find that different things happen, different reactions happen. So again, the facts are what you observe in front of you. You observe when you give a vaccine to somebody, you can observe the reaction to assume how it's going to play out and how it's going to, this vaccine is going to behave, we'll call it, towards other people. That's already a theory. A theory is how you interpret that information. Now you extrapolate to whatever it is you want to go. So again, very clear, there's a difference between the fact of what you've seen in front of your eyes, what vaccine or medicine can do, versus the theory of you are going to assume that it's going to behave in the same way. Now, all this is, again, either observable fact or scientific theory. However, if I start talking about a different question, what if I start asking the question of should a person take the vaccine or take this medicine? That already has already moved into outside of science. Let's explain why. The overall risk-benefit analysis of whether or not a person should take a vaccine is not going to be science. And in that scenario, the opinion of a scientist is no more valuable than anybody else. Because a scientist will be able, like we said, to assess the risks better than others, because that's his area. You have the natural world, which is we call science, and he could theorize. From a scientific perspective, he, he could theorize what he thinks will happen. So from that perspective, he could tell somebody else, does it make sense to take the vaccine and take the medicine? And like we said, this is even based on a lot of opinion and a lot of assumptions, not only cold hard facts, but fine. But that certainly still is within his domain. So he has a scientific, he has science in his domain and the scientific theory, I would also agree that it's within his domain. He could tell me what he thinks the reaction of the vaccine will be, what the natural world will look like if he takes the vaccine. That is certainly his domain. His domain is the natural world, study of the natural world, science. Within that is theory. That's perfectly fair to say. I have no problem with that. But one thing cannot do is to weigh all the factors in a person's life and decide whether or not he should take it. Because there could be economic factors involved. Maybe he, maybe there's a job or a relationship with him that, that's affected by this. The side effects are going to affect his life in many different ways. A doctor can't make that assessment of wh- about whether or not he's it's worth it to take. Again, he could tell me from a scientific perspective whether or not to take it. But if there's other factors involved, then that's that's not his domain anymore. That's stepping out of science to tell to make to tell a person to decide to do this is affecting his life and his life has other factors. He could say that based on the what we see, the risks will be this and the benefit will be this. Then a person, it's really his job to, under, to, to, to say, well, there's a risk-benefit analysis if I take the vaccine. If I don't take the vaccine, what risks, risks are there and what benefits are there? If I do take it, what risks and benefits? There's many, many other areas of my life that go involved that are involved in making this decision. And that's not a scientist or a doctor's decision to make. He could tell me from a scientific perspective, but he can't tell me from an economic perspective. He can't tell me from an emotional, mental perspective. That, that, so to say in, a, just say in a vacuum and just say objectively he should take the vaccine, that's already stepping out of science. Let's give another example with COVID, with, uh, with COVID. Yeah, because it's a vaccine, but let's say the lockdowns. Is that a scientific thing? So any public policy, was really not only science, and it really should not have been limited to science. Again, I'm not taking a side on whether they're correct or not. I'm just making this point. A scientist can theorize and also emphasize about the best way to stop the spread. That it certainly he could do. So he could tell me that maybe masks are the best way of stopping the spread. Fine. He could tell me staying home is the best way of stopping the spread. No problem with that. But to say that the right public policy should be lockdowns, that's already out of his jurisdiction. You need an economist to tell to tell you how this policy is going to affect the economy. 
And it had tremendous effects on the economy, as we saw. Uh, you need a mental health professional to theorize about how this will affect the mental health of people, which also had tremendous effects on that. And then someone needs to weigh all these factors together and make a judgment about the best way forward, considering all the options. But that last decision is not science. Science is one part of this equation, but this decision is not in the domain of scientists to make. Again, scientists can tell me from a scientific perspective what's the best way to stop the spread, but he can't tell me what's the best public policy to make. This is something outside of the scientific domain. This is outside the realm of science. And again, no one is saying they can't have an opinion, but first of all, you can't say their opinion is science. It's the opinion of a scientist. And second of all, I'm not sure if their opinion is much, it's much, is any weightier than anybody else's opinion. Again, why is a scientist's opinion, why was his opinion given more weight than an economist's opinion? That wasn't right because this decision affected many, many areas of life. Scientists ends with the science ends with the effects, negative or positive, of the vaccine or the lockdown, let's say. Everything else is outside the boundaries of science and therefore outside the boundaries of the scientists. And is the scientist any more capable than others of weighing all the factors in society, just like the way we described above? He can't be. He doesn't have the proper information of the economy. He doesn't have the proper information about how it's going to affect mental health people, people's mental health. This is outside of the domain of science. Again, I'm not weighing in whether right or wrong, whatever the point is, it's not the point. The point now is simply that there are times when science ends, certainly science and even the opinion of scientists ends. And it is not a scientific fact that lockdowns were the only way. That's an assessment. It's not a scientific fact that you have to take a vaccine. That's an assessment. And in both of those cases, it's an assessment that should come from factors other than science. It's not within the realm only of science or a scientist. They certainly can have a say, and they certainly should have a say about from the scientific perspective. That for sure is true. But that's not, that's outside of the realm of science. Now let's give another example, which is a little bit more nuanced. There was, um, during World War II, they wanted to make the planes of the American army they wanted to fortify them, make them stronger. And in order to do this, they want, what they did was they, they took a lot of planes that had come back from Europe and had bullet holes on them. And they, they didn't want to use all the metal that they had on pla- uh, parts of the plane that were not important to the plane. So they wanted to know where were the planes getting shot the most so that they could use the metal in that area. So let's say they were getting shot in the wings the most, let's say, so then they would fortify the wings, make them stronger, and they could save on the metal that they have. Fine. So that's what they did. So they brought back the planes from, so the planes that came back from Europe, they analyzed them. And again, they wanted to know where the, where to make the armor stronger on the planes. So all the planes that came back from the war, it came out, had bullet holes in the, I believe it was the main area of the plane. So they said, based on that, that they should make the armor there. Because most of the bullet holes have been in that area, then that's where that they should, they don't have an unlimited amount of metal, so they should place it only in that area. That's where all the bullet holes were. Except that one person, a scientist, I believe, or engineer, he said the exact opposite. He said, no, no, put it not in those places, put it in the exact opposite place, which I believe were on the wings. What was his argument? His argument was that you're only looking at the planes that made it back. You're not taking into account the planes that are still there. The ones that are still there obviously didn't make it. The ones that made it back were able to make it back despite the fact that they had bullet holes in the main area of the plane, and therefore you don't actually don't need to protect that. They could still make it back all the way from Europe. It's it's the ones that didn't make it back probably under these circumstances, probably weren't only shot in the main area, most likely shot in the wings. 
And that's exactly what they did. What they did was this exact point that they, they, they agreed that they understood that he was correct about this. Okay. So that's the actual real case. Now here we have clear facts. The facts are that the planes that came back had most of the bullets in the main area of the plane. But there's a dispute about the perspective to take, about the interpretation of what these facts mean. In a very nuanced way, the idea of what to do about the plane is not technically science. The science is the observable facts, that the, simple, that the place where the bullets were, were hit, that on the planes that came back, that's simply the science. But other things, i.e., what to do with the planes next was opinion. And you see, they had a debate about that because once it's in the realm of an opinion, it's debatable. The facts are not debatable. The fact is that the planes came back with bullet holes in this area. That's not debatable. No one should debate that. But outside of that is opinion, and that was debatable. And the truth is, almost any person with a logical mind could have made that interpretation. Not to say that they were just dead wrong, but it didn't necessarily need to be an engineer who who made that assessment. You don't have to understand all the intricacies of planes to come to that conclusion. If you had a logical mind, you could have thought about this point, as long as the person was able to broaden the perspective a little bit and see things in a different way. But whatever it is, here it's a very clear case. There's something called the observable fact that the planes that came back had bullets mostly in the main part of the plane, and then what to do about that was already opinion. Maybe even scientific theory, if you want to call it that, but again, the point is, there's a very important distinction between scientific fact and theory. There, nobody could say over there, science had proven, let's say even before the, the engineer, the scientist changed everybody's mind. Nobody, if let's say somebody would have come out and said, science has proven that we need to armor the planes in the main area of the planes, not in the wings. That would be 100% wrong. Science hasn't proven anything. Science has showed us observable reality that where the bullet holes are, scientists had an opinion, a theory about where they should put the armor on the other parts of the plane. But it's not true at all to say science has proven something. Not at all, not even close. And as we saw also, it, was, it got disproven. So of course it wasn't true to say that it's proven. But even if it wouldn't have been disproven, it wouldn't have been true to say technically that science has proven. Scientists have theorized and they think it's a strong theory. That would be much more accurate. And once we move into the realm of opinion, like we showed, we're really a lot, we're really relying a lot more on the people involved, the personalities involved, as opposed to simply the objective fact. If it's an objective fact, it is what it is. Reality simply is. But once we're in the realm of opinion, scientific theory, now we also have to account for the people who are involved, i.e. the scientists. So in what way are these scientists qualified to speak. What way are they smarter than us? So yeah, I, I will grant that they clearly know, have more knowledge about the physical world. That's no problem. But does that mean that their critical thinking is better than anyone else? Does it make, make them more objective than anyone else? Are they less subjected to bias than anyone else? Does it make them more obsessed with finding the truth than anyone else? And remember, intelligence is not the only factor in determining truth. So even if you're going to tell me that they're more intelligent, we could always respond and say, we back with our analogy from the first shear that we gave, which is that if you have a person who's a judge and he's judging a case between his brother and somebody else, if you are the defendant in that case going against the judge's brother, you will not want the judge to be the brother of the person you're going against, even if he is the most intelligent, because it's not only about intelligence. Determining truth is much more about character and if if the person will be objective than intelligence. So yes, a scientist has more intelligence in a certain area, 
But does it, again, it doesn't make him more biased and doesn't make him more objective than anybody else. Now, just as a side, this doesn't, I'm not, the point of this is not to tear down the entire edifice of science. It's simply meant to put it in its place, right? We're not necessarily saying that scientists are worse than anybody else. Some are and some aren't. Like any other group of people, there are different types. But we can't say that just by virtue of the fact that they are scientists make them by definition better than anyone else. We're merely saying that they're human beings like anybody else, which are subject to bias, laziness, lack of nuance, desire of honor, recognition, fame, all these things. They have the same human weaknesses as anybody else. Just because they put on a white coat doesn't make them any difference. Yes, they know more science, i.e. they know more observable fact about the universe, and maybe their theories about how the universe works are weightier than ours. But the point is that a lot of the study of, of science includes a lot more than simply reporting facts, as we, as we know. And once we get into the realm of opinion, we're relying much more on the people involved. We're relying on their assessments and, and their judgments and everything. And people are vulnerable, even scientists. People are weak. People will distort. How many stories are there about scientists distorting some information in favor of a certain conclusion or one or another? But even without getting into these, we, we shouldn't be surprised when we hear about these stories because they happen. Of course, they happen. They're a human being and they have weaknesses. And it also shouldn't completely disqualify all scientists automatically. That's not the point. The point is very simply that they're human like everyone else. But this is important to know because they're not simply reporting observable fact. There's a lot more that goes on in science. Then it is important to know that they are human. And in order to be a scientist, there's no character qualification. It doesn't matter if you're the nicest person in the world or the biggest narcissist in the world. If you're good at science, whatever that would entail, you're considered a top scientist. But again, since science is not limited to hard facts and, and their interpretation is necessary, it certainly leaves open the possibility of them making these mistakes, especially if their scientist is arrogant or biased. or not willing to hear another side of the story. He thinks it's right, and he's not willing to hear somebody challenge him, which happens countless amount of times. So, that's just something, and again, another thing to keep in mind. And again, I want to emphasize, it's not coming to destroy science. It's to say that science is completely unreliable. It's simply putting it in its place, which means it's not just a reporter of objective fact. That's not what it is. And that's very, very important when it comes to the topic of Torah and science, as we'll see. There are also one other couple of the points, maybe. There, scientists have self-imposed limitations science itself, and really scientists as well. A scientist has made a limitation of where his jurisdiction, jurisdiction lies, because he can only talk about what he could see, hear, feel, taste, or touch, really ensure what's measurable. And he can't talk about anything outside what can be reproduced in a lab or what can be measured in a lab. And that's 100% fine in terms of science, but it should not be confused with a pursuit of truth. Truth does not have to be limited by our senses. There's nothing in the world that says that truth can't lie outside of our immediate experience or out of the physical world. See, they will only believe what can be replicated in the lab. And again, that's fine for their own discipline. It makes sense. They have to have these rules for many, many reasons without getting into them. But it, it makes a lot of sense for their discipline to have these rules. And there's no problem with that. However, that doesn't mean that the only things that are true are things that you, you could replicate in a lab. It's, let's say if I'm claiming that there's another dimension out there that's not physical. So you can't tell me that because it wasn't reproduced or measured in a lab, that it's not true. It may not be scientific what I'm claiming, but you can't say that what I'm saying is false. 
I'm telling you that your tools will not be able to detect it. So you can't come to me and say that you've tried to detect it using your tools and you can't find it. And therefore it's not true. I'm not saying now that there must be another dimension. I'm not coming to prove that's true. That's not the point. The point is we're merely saying that the fact that something cannot be reproduced in a lab is not a reason that it can't be true. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it's not true. It's not a disproof of the first plague. If I claim that the first plague of Makazdam, of the plague of blood, is a true phenomena. A scientist cannot come to, t- come to me and say, well, it can't be reproduced in a, la- in a lab. I can never, I tried many times to turn water into blood, and it didn't work. That's obviously out of his domain. If I'm telling you it's a miracle, which by definition means it's out of the natural science, out of the observable natural cause and effect of the world, then obviously you won't be able to reproduce it, but it doesn't mean it's not true. This is a limitation of science, and it's certainly not the only one, but it's a major one. It's an important one. You can't conflate science with truth. Again, they have their limitations. So within their limitations, they could tell you what they think is the best explanation for something or the best observation of something, whatever exactly it is. But to conflate it with truth, absolute truth, we'll say, is not, not 100%, not a fair thing to do. As well, there's sometimes other limits. So, for example, when discussing the origin of life, so most of them will not claim that, I can't say most of them, but many of them will not claim that a creator was, is the source of all life. And why not? Because that will be theology, they say, which is not the domain of science. Now, whether that's true or not is not really our topic. Even grant, let's even grant them that's true for a second, that to claim that God created the world is outside of science. Fine. No problem. So it's outside of science. However, if you're going to continue now and say that the best explanation we have for the origin of life is evolution, then the way to present that theory, we'll call it, is that based on all the rules and limitations of science, the theory and the consensus is that evolution is how the world was created. However, you cannot claim that this is the truth, and you cannot claim to use this as a question of somebody who believes this, just because science within its limitations doesn't want to deal with the God because it's theology. So you've arbitrarily drawn a line and said this can't be used to explain science. Again, I have no problem if you do that. But then when you present it, don't present it as the absolute truth, that science has disproven, or because of science we don't need the necessity for God anymore, something like that, whatever it is, whatever exactly the presentation would be. But that's not fair, it's not absolute truth in the sense that we're looking for it. Science, within its limitations, has concluded, or scientists have concluded the following thing. That's fair to do. It's not fair to do to say that this is the truth, because truth doesn't necessarily have those limitations. Just because your field of expertise does, it doesn't mean I, or objective reality, has to work within these limitations. So you say, God is theology, fine. But that doesn't necessarily mean that, let's, and again, let's say you say because of the Big Bang Revolution, whatever, whatever exactly it is you want to say, that's the best scientific explanation of the, of the world. Great. That doesn't mean anything regarding the actual truth of the matter. It means within your limitations, this is the best you could come up with. No problem. And that's fine. Again, like we said, that's fine for the scientific discipline. But don't now come and say that this is the truth because truth doesn't have those limitations. Now, adding to all of this, even with all of this, and I've, I've left out a lot of things within science. I've left out a lot of distortions and a lot of different things that some of the uglier parts of science I haven't discussed that at all. I'm just giving somewhat of the benefit of the doubt for them, a benefit of the doubt for the scientists, whatever. Just looking at the nicer side, we'll call it, of science. But trust me, there's been many, many faces of many, many aspects, we'll call it, of 
the uglier side of science, which I haven't even discussed, or scientists, I would say. But even adding to all of this, there's one other point to make, which is that science over the years has progressed. Again, this is a function of the fact that it's not objective reality, but it's also opinion, which again is fine. But note the point that they have made mistakes and they've made corrections and come up with new theories. And again, it's all fine. We should expect that. We should expect human beings to make mistakes and we should expect that they want to find a better theory. But again, that don't conflate that with the truth. Just because you have a scientific theory right now doesn't mean that this is the truth. And you should definitely not have the arrogance to think that this time we're for sure right. How many times have scientists thought they were right and have gone back and have shown that they were wrong? And I bet you every single time they thought they were right, there were some certain scientists who said, this time for sure we've got it right. Those are the arrogant ones. And the more humble ones and reasonable ones would say, this is what it seems to us right now, but who knows, maybe things can change. And many, many times, how many times, countless times, science has changed. They were certain that the world was 4 billion years old until they found something else, or it was 20 million, I believe it was, till they found um, radioactivity, and then they changed things to 15 billion, and now they're 13 billion, and whatever exactly it is, how many times have they changed? It was so many things, even things that were considered so obvious and so true at the time, they've changed. Even Einstein's theory of relativity now, which has been quote-unquote proven many times over, is actually, it's, it's being questioned now. And that's 100% fine for scientists to do that and for the theory, the, the discipline of science to get better and better over time. It's great, no problem. But don't conflate it for truth. Just because you have a scientific theory right now does not mean that this is true and it does, necess- does not necessarily have a, it's not necessarily a question on Torah. Now, we're not coming to say that all, to, to answer the Torah and science, we're not coming to say that all science is incorrect. That's not the point of this. But we have to know what kind of questions are being asked. Are we being asked a question from objective reality on the Torah? That's one question. Are we asking a question from scientific theory, opinion on the Torah? That's a different question. Or are we asking a question from scientific consensus on the Torah? That's also a different question. So whenever we ask a question from Torah and science, this is number one, this is the introduction to this. What kind of question are we asking? And the different questions will result in different answers. It will obligate us to give different answers. So this is the general introduction. Again, the point is not to, that whenever Torah and science are in conflict, just go with Torah and pull down science, rip down science. So that's not the point over here. It's just to clarify what kind of question we're being asked. When we talk about age of the universe, which would be the major topic of this, is that objective fact? Is that scientific theory? Or is that scientific consensus? And even within scientific theory, like we pointed out, how strong of a proof do they have that the age of the universe is a certain age, let's say. Again, that's just the introduction to this. But now we're going to have to discuss a little bit more detail about the places where Torah and science are in conflict with one another. exclusive content on Patreon. You can submit your question and get them answered only for members on Patreon. Don't forget to check out our own website msoftorah.com and remember, we are wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Subscribe to know when the next episode is being released. The podcast is produced by Ellie Podcast Productions.